Welcome home. I'm Dr. Tama, a minister, licensed psychologist, and sacred artist. And this is Homecoming, a podcast to facilitate your journey home to yourself. While I will provide weekly inspiration and mental health tips, this podcast is not a substitute for therapy. I'm so excited you're on the journey. If you want to request specific topics or share your progress, email me at homecomingpodcasts at gmail.com. Also, after you listen, be sure to like, subscribe, and share. Let's begin. I'm so glad you are with us for another episode of the Homecoming Podcast, and I am excited about today's topic. It actually was a request from one of our co-journers about coping with alcoholism and other forms of addiction, which are particularly significant while we are in the midst of the coronavirus. And I'm excited to introduce to you all one of my special beloved sisters, Reverend Dr. Rosalind Brookins. She is a pastor in Oakland, the heart of Oakland, where they do ministry both to the spirit, but also to the heart and mind and the material needs of the community. She is uh, has an expertise, her doctorate in liberation theology with a focus on the experiences of women and also the gift of the prophetic. When she lived in Los Angeles, she taught a class on the prophetic that I was blessed to attend, and it was amazing. And I'm excited for her to be willing to share her journey and her insight with us today. And so, Reverend Dr. Rosalind Brookins, welcome to Homecoming. Thank you, Dr. Tama. It is such a wonderful uh, opportunity. I thank you for inviting me to be here this morning. Oh, absolutely. And I know that in the midst of this pandemic, many people are struggling. And as we struggle, we often reach to things or to people uh, to medicate our pain or to distract us. And so this issue of substance dependence and addiction is so, so important. Can you first help us, Reverend Roz, to know the difference between uh, someone being a casual user um, or casual drinker and how they would know that it is becoming a problem in terms of addiction or dependence. Yes. Um, in simple terms, Dr. Uh, Tama, it is when you can't go without having a drink, regardless to how destructive the behavior may be. Uh, mm. It is there are two forms, if I may say, two forms of uh, knowing if you are out of control and need some help, if you are a casual drinker or really an alcoholic, uh, is there are sometimes we can take a drink and put it down. That's a casual drinker. I don't have a need for it. I'm just being sociable. Um, and then there's a, another person such as myself is I take a drink and I keep drinking and I keep drinking and I keep drinking. Right. Yes. And, and so that, that's, the mm -hmm. simple term or the yep. simple description of how you mm -hmm. know or would not know that there's a, there's a potential problem. 
Yeah. So it's one of the uh, important things for us to be um, aware of in terms of the, the frequency of the drinking and then thinking about within yourself, if you've ever wondered uh, if this is an issue or if people who care about you have raised the concern, um, we want to be mindful about that. And so I know one of the ways uh, that we learn best is through experience. And so mm-hmm. I am grateful that you're willing to share your journey with us. And uh, if you can let us know what led you uh, to alcoholism? What do you uh, feel in your life set you up in some ways for the addiction? Well, let me say, before I answer that question, mm-hmm. Dr. Kama, let me just say, um, I, you can either be a chronic alcoholic or a functional alcoholic. Mm-hmm. And for me, I started, like most people, as being a functional alcoholic. What does that mean? That means I can have an everyday life. I'm able to get up, go to work, um, but not without having my substance. So for me, Mm -hmm. I was, I drank every day. I went to school every day. I completed my assignments, but I was drunk all of the time in doing so. So I was a Mm -hmm. functional alcoholic. Chronic alcoholic is one who is unable to function at all. Um, And sometimes um, we see people who can function during the week, but during the weekends, on the weekends, they just can't do anything, right? Um, Mm -hmm. I started drinking at the age of 14. Um, I saw my father drink. My father was, I came from a very abusive background. Um, um, I was molested at an early age and I saw as a way of escape, as a way out, my father drank, his father drank. So I also uh, began to drink. Um, I was 14 years old and I remember going into the refrigerator and seeing a glass filled with what I thought was water was actually gin. And um, so I took a drink of it thinking it was water but it also, in doing so, um, I felt this this inner silence. It's it it felt like the demons that were inside of me were silenced. Mm-hmm. Um, and the more I took a drink, the quieter they became. And so at fourteen, because of all of the abuse I had experienced, because of um, I. I myself had been molested at a very early age. Um, it was an easy way to escape the pain. It was an mm-hmm. easy way to silence the the voices in my head. Um, and so for me, that I started early. And people who start drinking early, the mm-hmm. likelihood of you becoming an alcoholic later in life, um, statistics show that there's a strong possibility. You know, and I enjoy mm-hmm. drinking. I have to tell mm-hmm. you, I enjoy, I had more power drinking than I ever thought I could ever have sober. Mm. Um, you know, tell yeah. us more about that. When you say more power, what do you mean? Well, um, when I would take a drink, I could I could um, speak my mind, as to say, mm. I you know, I could I could tell you off and then make an excuse that oh, it was because I had been drinking. I really mm. didn't mean that. Mm-hmm. When in fact I did mean it, you know what right, I'm saying? Right. And I wasn't as fearful when I took a drink because it gave me the ability to 
say and do what I wanted to say and what I wanted to do. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. so yes, at, at 14, I started drinking Dr. Tama, but by the time I was 18, I was a full-blown alcoholic at 18, mm. but I was still able, going back to being functional, that's another part of the power. I could drink and still do what most people could do, go to school, show up, uh, graduate, you know, uh, and, and yet go undetected. I could go to school, go to class, be in class, and graduate, and was undetected as an alcoholic mm-hmm. because I was and, functional. Yeah, and I appreciate you naming uh, what you got out of it because I think it's so important for parents or mental health professionals or loved ones to not just if they only focus on the negative, they will miss the pull, both the physical pull and also the psychological pull um, of what uh, people are getting from, from the, uh, from their use. Right. Um, Right. So naming that it would uh, numb the pain, but then uh, also give you a sense of power or freedom. Can you also speak to the cost? What did it cost you then and, and the long-term cost? Oh, my goodness. Um, that's such a powerful question because uh, you don't really realize, Dr. Tamer, what the cost is while you're in it, you know? Mm. Um, it wasn't until I needed to be sober that I realized it was a major cause. And so one of the things that I can tell you for sure is that it caused me the inability to make healthy choices. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I started early, um, my drinking habit started early in life, I was unable to make healthy choices as it, as it in regards to relationships. Uh, it you know, I look for love in all the wrong faces and all the long, wrong places. Um, it cost me my safety. Um, mm-hmm. I, I share with you that I had um, been molested at an early age and a gang raped at 13, again mm-hmm. at 17. And so mm-hmm. I didn't know how to have a healthy relationship without my body being used as the tool. Mm-hmm. You know, Um, so, so that, and then, then my inability to trust myself and to trust other people. Mm -hmm. And to be honest with you, uh, Dr. Tamer, even 30 years later, after I'm sober, uh, and have done some great things by the grace of God, I still find myself questioning my own ability to trust people and to trust myself to make healthy decisions. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and, then, is the, and, and is the loss of trust in people um, as a result of the um, assaults or other components? I think it's a combination of both. It's the combination <laughs> of the assaults, but mm-hmm. also um, in my use of alcoholism and drugs, um, you know, you don't know, you, you numb out, you're numb to people and to their needs as well, you know, um, and, and because I used alcoholism and drugs to get through life and to escape 
at the same time to escape from life and to get through life. Um, I sometimes don't know if my decision that I'm making today is a healthy decision. And that for me is where uh, accountability partners come in. You know, mm-hmm. that well, that's a that great I- segue because I was going to ask, how did you uh, make the transition into sober living and what uh, either inspired or provoked you to make that shift? To be honest with you, <laughs> mm-hmm. I didn't want to be sober. I was, <laughs> I was not really trying to be sober. Mm-hmm. I was really trying to drink martinis like I saw on television, the way I saw white women on television, like uh, Elizabeth Taylor and Marilyn Monroe, they didn't show them having a drinking problem or a drug Mm -hmm. problem. They Mm -hmm. showed them sipping out of martini glasses. And we know that Marilyn Monroe died of an overdose, but Mm -hmm. that was not ever televised as when they showed um, uh, Diana Ross in Woman Sings the Blues. She was completely out of her mind, you know, mm-hmm. um, and, and so you were initially movies. trying to switch to moderation. And I, I was, I, yes, I think that's a great way of putting it. When I went into rehab, um, you know, I went into rehab because somebody said to me, I had gone to a party. In fact, I hosted a party mm-hmm. and I left the party with all the guests in my house um, to go to uh, get some drugs because I ran out of drugs, get some alcohol. And I didn't show back up to my own party until nine o'clock that night. And two people were there. And one of them said to me, if you continue to do and live like this, you're going to die. And mm-hmm. something about my dying just didn't, that, that just didn't sound like that was supposed to be my mm-hmm. life. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It just didn't sound like I was supposed to die at early age. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I decided to go into rehab, um, my decision wasn't based on uh, I want to be sober. My decision was, oh, I don't want to die and I want to learn how to continue to drink. <laughs> if that doesn't mm-hmm. sound crazy, mm-hmm. I want to drink, but put the martini glass down. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so an intervention was done. I actually detoxed myself in my own apartment because I at that time I didn't know that's what it was. But mm-hmm. when I went for the intervention, the counselor said to to um at that time, my boyfriend, who would later become my husband, Bishop Brookins, mm-hmm. if she wants to drink, let her drink until we can get her a bed. Well, I just thought that was ludicrous. And I thought he was trying to uh, didn't want me to be sober. So I just mm-hmm. said, forget it. I'm going to stop drinking on my own. I would not advise that today, Dr. Taylor. Mm-hmm. But when I got to rehab, um, there was a lady and her name was Joan who helped me to see that I really did have a major problem. Um, And I think the first part of any form of recovery is admitting that there's a problem, Um, you know, and not to be in a state of denial. To Mm -hmm. live and set a glass down for me was in a state of denial. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I had to admit that I was, I was, um, I was an alcoholic and Mm -hmm. I, you know, and with that comes a lot of negative behaviors and a lot of uh, negative connotations. But 
I was supposed to only be in rehab for 30 days. I ended up being there 120 days because mm. the denial was so deeply rooted, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and so to answer your question, it was not my own doing that mm-hmm. I went into rehab. It was because other people's lives were being affected by my behavior. Um, and um, but that's not what kept me sober. Mm-hmm. What kept me sober for 30 plus years uh, is that I had to decide um, one, I needed to take responsibility for my own life. While mm-hmm. I've had some some horrible things to happen, I I could not continue to let those things govern how the rest of my story would be written. Mm-hmm. And so I had to uh, decide yes. to rewrite the story. Yes. You know, and, and it could be a part of the story because it happened and it's true mm-hmm. and it's real and it's ugly and it was painful. But I had to say I didn't want my life to end there. I mm-hmm. wanted my life to end somewhere somewhere else. Um, and in doing so, I I learned how to affirm my own greatness, how yeah. to uh, uh, say that I was brilliant unapologetically. I mean, mm-hmm. today, because I am sober, um, today, Dr. Tamer, I have um, an every degree that you can go for, an AA, mm-hmm. a BA, a, a MA, Mm-hmm. did, you know, and it was mm-hmm. because, in fact, I have a double master's. Um, and it mm-hmm. was because I had women around me and people around me that uh, believed in me and believed in my my ability to accomplish mm-hmm. that which I had been called to do. Um, mm-hmm. But and while that that's those are great tools, the greatest tool and the greatest gift, I think, that I gave myself and would like to give those of you who are on this, listening to this podcast, is to know that you're brilliant and to know, Mm -hmm. I had to know that I was brilliant, Dr. Tamer, know that Mm -hmm. I was worthy of of a healthy life and and healthy environments and creating Mm -hmm. that environment, not Mm -hmm. only for myself, but for the people who had invested in me. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned uh, earlier the word accountability. Can you talk about that? Sure. Um, let me say, first and foremost, alcoholism is a disease. Mm-hmm. And like any other disease, you have to create uh, a healthy environment to keep you um, healthy to keep mm-hmm. you safe to keep you uh, thriving to allow that would allow you to thrive and so in recovery one of the things they say is uh, one drink is not enough and a thousand is too many mm-hmm. um, so what does that mean when we talk about accountability partners is that you must you already know that it's a disease. I already know it's a disease. I know when I pick up that first glass or pick up that first pipe or snort mm-hmm. that first line, that's gonna that's gonna start the the roller coaster ride. So um, having an accountability partner, what does that look like? That means I have a, sp- a sponsor that I can call when in times like these, I have people 
that I will call and check in with. And I don't have to say I'm in trouble. I just call and say, for me, I use the terminology, a coin phrase that a friend of mine, Lori Beeson, uh, used, can you just jump in the fight with me? Mm-hmm. And, and, and I say that to your, you as well, uh, Dr. Mm-hmm. Tamer, when I'm in a p- place that's not very uh, safe or healthy, mm-hmm. I'll call and say, look, jump in the fight for me. Can mm-hmm. you jump in? That's an accountability partner. That's someone who's not going to allow you to wallow in self-pity. It's somebody mm-hmm. who's going to call you on your mess. You don't mm-hmm. want anybody in your circle that's a yes person because... Mm-hmm. Yes, people will lead you down a dark path and you and it spirals out of control. So when I have and just I to clarify that, for them, a yes person is someone who always agrees with you or doesn't address the issue. Both. Both. Mm-hmm, I mean, mm-hmm. if, if someone who always agreeing with you, that means they d- don't have the capacity mm-hmm. to speak truth to power mm-hmm. and not that they don't want to. It's just mm-hmm. that they are not able to at that given time mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and so because whatever the reason is they have put themselves or put you rather or put myself on a on a in a position where they don't feel comfortable saying you don't need to do this right mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. they're wonderful people they just can't be account- accountability partners and that mm-hmm. means you have somebody in your circle who's connected to you, who's going to see your bad behavior and address it right then, right there at that, mm-hmm. you know, during that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a we have a saying in the room. Uh, and when I say room, I mean, AA rooms, NA rooms, CA rooms that um, you got to stop the stinking thinking. Mm-hmm. So accountability partners help me will help us to not go down that path of negative thinking, gloom and doom. Uh, In times like these, it's easy for anyone who has an addictive personality. to. Mm -hmm. We know that it's dangerous for you to isolate, right? It's dangerous for you to be by yourself because it's times like these, you'll find yourself depressed. So for me, what I've done, Dr. Tamer, is I've created an environment for myself, a healthy environment that allows me to stay focused on where Mm I am. It allows me to celebrate my greatness. It allows me to um, choose which way I I plan to go for that day. And um, may I just say um, what I've done thus far? So you talked about uh, accountability partners. That means having a sponsor. That also means having a therapist. I have uh-huh. a therapist. I I have. I used to see her every two weeks. Now that I'm in isolation or quarantined, I see her every week. Every uh-huh. week I'm going to talk about something that, that's going to keep me focused um, because she's going to help me stay focused. I also do a lot of reading. I do a mm-hmm. lot of journaling, you know, I exercise online. I never thought mm-hmm. Dr. Tamer, one, I was never a big proponent of exercising, even though I knew it was healthy, but mm-hmm. I never even thought I would be online to exercise. And now that's what I'm doing. But let me also say in my house right now, I have candles lit. Mm-hmm. I have my blinds open. I have my diffuser going and I, I 
I try to stay away from the news as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I listen while I love music and I dance all the time with myself mm-hmm. because I'm single and I'm home by mm-hmm. myself. There's mm-hmm. a one genre of music that I would not listen to. I do not listen to in this season. And that's blues. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, because yeah. it takes you down that path. So mm-hmm. those are mm-hmm. some of the things that I've done to create an environment of healthy living. Yes, those are wonderful. And I love that it's holistic looking at um, our eating, our exercise, therapy, accountability partners. I'm glad you mentioned the online component because as people are doing social distancing, a lot of mental health professionals um, are only doing teletherapy. And so for you all to know, you don't have to wait until after the virus to find a therapist. You can look for those who are offering services online and uh, dealing with the holistic. And I know that uh, a big, big part of your foundation is also faith. Uh, what has been the role of uh, your faith or spirituality in your recovery? Let me say that for me, uh, my faith is built on who God is in my life. Uh, mm-hmm. I wholeheartedly believe that God, with God, all things are possible. But let me say that not every person who's attempting to be sober will identify their higher power as God. Mm-hmm. And so, or as Lord or as Savior. So whatever your 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 higher power, however you identify with your higher power, I would su- I would say that it's important that you set a routine with whether it's meditation, if it's reading, whatever it is, so that you can stay focused. Um, for me, it is reading my scriptures daily. It is praying. It is doing meditation. So it's also it's a combination of things that I do as a as a one as a pastor and a preacher but also as a believer in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Oh, that is so important. And I appreciate you explaining both your journey and how that may apply in different people's lives. I am really uh, intentional in this season about all of us now being trauma survivors as we look at the coronavirus and the pandemic that we are facing globally, uh, that many of us are under stress and not just everyday stress, but traumatic stress. And I know during these seasons, we can often uh, turn to things or people for relief. So we want to be mindful and intentional about turning to things that will actually nourish us, things that will uh, actually improve our health, things that will give authentic relief so that we can come home to ourselves, not the temporary home um, of addiction. And so thank you so much. Uh, And I know some people will want to be in touch with you after this. And so can you share on Facebook or Twitter how they may be able to find you? Sure. Uh, Let me just say again, thank you, Dr. Tamer Bryan, for this invitation. But if anyone wants to get in touch with me, they can do so just by looking up my name, Rosalind Brookins, and it's R-O-S-A-L-Y-N-N Brookins, B-R-O-O-K-I-N-S, on both Facebook and Twitter. 
Nicole. Thank you so much. And so all of you who are listening now, I want you to know that my heart is going to you and that at this very moment, I invite your soul to tell your heart, mind, body, and spirit, welcome home. <laughs>